This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. Even if it was a Fruit Loop Festival, I'd be there. I'd go to the opening of a curtain, said Jamie. So you were enthusiasm. you were sort of the spruker. You were like Maury Plant at international <laughs> athletics events, going around <laughs> trying to get, book all the big acts. I did. God rest so his soul. Everyone was there. Corey, you know, Alistair Clarkson. There was Roaming Brian. Sorry, who's Roaming Brian? Brian Taylor. Oh, sorry. Don't you watch, don't yeah, you watch no, Friday no, Night Football? I wasn't thinking Brian Taylor. Clem actually took on Kevin Sheedy at one point, who was having a bit of a go at me about things I'd been writing about him or saying about him. It was yeah, it could have got quite interesting. <laughs> Well, the sparks fly and a very different kind of chemistry to the one that these two nerds have been studying all their lives suddenly is triggered. It's a wonderful love story. And he'd won this thing in a pub, in a raffle. <laughs> so I ended up with him. And he'd never kayaked well, in he'd his actually life. won win, win a canoe ride with Caroline Wilson. Well, he, he just won it. <laughs> I think Collingwood this year has evolved into an even more exciting dynamic. I mean, throw a couple of day courses in there and you've got a party. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corey Perkin. This is episode 232 and it is a big week in Melbourne. Footy finals are about to begin and of course we have with us, as we do every week, the first woman of football. Corey. I, I actually think you should be the first person of football. Caroline Wilson, my buddy, my podcast friend, and I haven't seen you for nearly two weeks. It's great to have you back, Corey. You, um, you're underselling us as always. We're actually, actually up to episode 233, which is oh, am I? pretty unbelievable. According, oh, gosh, my notes according are wrong. to Miss Jane, who is with us in spirit today, but not in person because she's doing jury duty. Well, not right at the moment. She's producing us offline with Steve, who's here. But yes, she's about to do jury duty in a minute. Well, it just brings me to Mind of the Twelve, that show that's on... Um, with Sam Neill. Yeah, it's on Foxtel at the moment with Sam Neill and Marta Dusseldorp and Brooke Satchwell. It's a very creepy, disturbing story. It is creepy. And very well acted. And let's hope Jane doesn't go through those experiences. <laughs> she's been asked to do it many times. She's finally said yes. No more excuses. We miss you, Jane. And Corrie, you've been you've been away for a wedding, but we're going to have a, we're going to have a special literary edition of the show today because last week Anna from the Op Shop came in in your absence with Clem. Yes. And we did a spring edition, and Anna was kicking herself because we had so much fun that she forgot to give us her five best spring reads. Um, We all realised over the last week, and I think you did something on your Instagram, that all our favourite authors have got books coming out next month or this month, which is so exciting. Caro, we've got a lot to discuss in that that regard, and I think at the end of the the, um, series... The show that all potties will be racing down to their bookshop. A little bit of housekeeping. First of all, Cara, there was a, there were many bouquets for your daughter Clementine Donahue. Um, I don't know whether these were friends of Clem's who sent. I think Anna was a, Anna was a little bit miffed. <laughs> well, I, I I don't know whether these are friends of Clem's or I'm sure they're genuine. Um, genuine. Uh, I, I actually have only heard a part of the show, but I did hear. Clem's restaurant reviews, which I thought were concise and terrific and so interesting. And in fact, so did Marika McMahon on Instagram, who said, terrific episode. Please make Clemmy Donahue restaurant tips a regular segment. Um, Happy and, to do that. And I'm sure she would be too. Um, and Malison 2017 can't wait to hear Clem's new restaurant tips. Um, and another, Christina Bulling. Clem is fantastic. She is a natural. And Wade Kingsley, who's a darling old friend. I don't mean old in that sense, but he's been with the podcast virtually since day one. Hello, Wade. Clem is great. I think she needs her own Melbourne culture podcast. There you go. Clem had a big week last week. I took her to um, a fabulous function, a fundraiser for the Cape York House, which is an AFL institution up north which provides schooling for young Indigenous kids, and it was a fabulous night at the MCC, but Kevin Sheedy arrived at the um, function. Everyone was there, Corrie, you know, Alistair Clarkson, there was Roaming Brian. Um, Mike. Who's, sorry, who's Roaming Brian? Brian Taylor. Oh, sorry. Don't you watch, don't you, don't yeah, you watch no, Friday Night no, Football? I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking Brian Taylor. And our, 
our friend, you know it was, was put on by our friend, the wonderful Jude Donnelly from the AFL. Mike Sheehan was there. Kevin from Geelong was there. Every, Brendan Gale, Gillan McLaughlin. And Clem actually took on Kevin Sheedy at one point, who was having a bit of a go at me about things I'd been writing about him or saying about him. It was, yeah... Could have got quite interesting, actually. Give Clem her own podcast, I say. First of all, Carol, we must thank our show sponsors, Red Energy. And if you are moving house, and I do know a couple of people who are doing that in the next month or two, don't forget to call your local energy retailer, Red Energy. And, of course, the other gang who support our podcast with such um, such exuberance is Prince Wine Store. And we've got another introduction to the wine appreciation course for two people to give away today. First of all, uh, a letter from an email from Kelly Robertson. Dear Corey. Hmm. Oh, you've really put the cat among the pigeons really with your glass you of enjoy- wine story. I really hope you enjoyed your $15 glass of wine in a nice venue and that it was a decent pour. It really is ridiculous. That means it was 75-ish a bottle of wine. I don't think so. I hate to one-up you, but I've just paid twenty-seven fifty for a glass of Riesling and Jetstar Departures. Yes, I was desperate. <laughs> you must have been. That is that is a lot of money. I mean, I hope it was, you know, Chateau Margot or something like that. That's crazy. Goodness me, twenty seven fifty at Jetstar. Anyway, look. And it wouldn't have been Mount Mary, would it? Um, Kelly, I think $15 at a really good wine bar with a decent pour is not crazy. Obviously, things are marked up when you go out, and that's the price you pay. Well, can I just tell you, Byron Bay, you're not paying $15 a pour in a lot of places. You have just been at Byron Bay, Mm -hmm. and I happen to know that their Writers' Festival has been on because I went up and spoke at it a few years ago. It's a fabulous event, and it's on at a really good time of year. I mean, your your forthcoming Writers' Festival at Sorrento is, again, I think at a brilliant time for Victoria at the end of April. But the end of, around August in Byron is a fabulous time because it's um it's the it's not the middle of winter starting to get a little bit more pleasant but it's certainly not warm. What was the water like, by the way? Too cold. Oh, too cold for me. A couple of our gang went swimming. I've never seen my husband Pete go in and out of the sea so quickly. It was very cold. It was as cold as Port Phillip Bay, but it was um, and the wind was cold, but it was sunny. So, Caro, to be uh, to be in sunshine was um, and when you haven't heaven, yeah, and also just to be up there again after four years or something was amazing. But look, it was a really it, it is a really clever. It's a clever festival, and um, in the pitch that I've been using with some people regarding. Sorrento Writers Festival, our inaugural one next year, which we hope will grow. I look at Byron Bay actually as our, as where we want to be. You know, maybe five or ten years because it's coastal. It's it, there's a resort vibe. People arrive at Byron Bay for the festival and they immediately feel relaxed. They're excited. Lots and lots of bunches of people. A lot of middle-aged women our age. Lots of silver hair and pastel cardigans. But Are we that's still okay. middle-aged? I don't know. Nervous question. (laughs) Nervously answering. Not sure. But um, it was really great. And, and, you know, Writers' Festivals traditionally have an audience that is predominantly women and it's probably the demographic is maybe 45 to 75 years of age. Uh, What was really interesting at the Byron Bay Writers' Festival was a lot of men and, um, and a lot of young people. Now, there were some great, some really great young commentators, young academics, and young writers who were in the program mix. And there were lots of issues that young people are very concerned about, people across the board, but particularly young people on matters of um, Mother Earth, the climate, uh, and also the voice uh, and the forthcoming referendum. And a few issues like that um, really drew the crowds. But I was delighted to see such a mix of, of bods. And it was great weather. Um, fantastic collection of authors. Like, they really went above and beyond. And I think that's what makes a great writers' festival, to be honest. That, Highlights, big-name authors? Um, <clears throat> well, I because we had the wedding, I missed Saturday's um, I missed Saturday's Hannah Kent, which I was really looking forward to, the session with her. Uh, and I miss seeing Trent Dalton, Dalton, who I've interviewed for the book pod but have never met in person and was looking forward to meeting them both, actually. But um, I went to a couple of great sessions. Our friend Barry Cassidy, friend of the podcast, on the Friday morning, he hosted one of the first events, which was a great event um, with Julianne Schultz, um, Jane Caro, who's also been on the podcast. And they were looking at um, the, the first 100 days of the Albanese government and what change created. But it got on to more of why did the Liberal Party 
uh, lose the election? Why was it not listening to the electorate? So that was kind of fascinating because they were all terribly smart and and um, and the crowd just adored them. Jane Caro, 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 she is such a class act. I completely fan swamped her, Caro. <laughs> Oh, well, remember us from remember me with Carol Wilson on the podcast? Oh yes. I said, Would you come to, would you do me the honour? She did her eyes sort of glaze over. Did she look a bit blank? She looked like she had no idea who we were. But I said to her, Look, I've just started um, I've just started this writers festival in Sorrento. I do hope you'll come next year. So I just wanted to give you a heads up when I send you an email and if you see some Fruit Loop Festival, it's not a Fruit Loop. She said, even if it was a Fruit Loop Festival, I'd be there. I'd go to the opening of a curtain, said Jane. So you with were you were sort of the spruker. You were like Maury Plant at international <laughs> athletics events, going around <laughs> trying to get, book all the big acts. I did. God rest so Surreptitiously, <laughs> I had a fantastic hour with Marcia Langton, who who um, is such a brilliant academic, a wonderful representative of the Indigenous community and and academia, and so thoughtful and everything. And I I sort of laid it on with her. I just said, Marcia, I'd love you to be a patron of the festival, and she agreed on one condition that she could put together together her panel and then she started talking oh, about the name presumptuous oh no i was so happy because the panel's brilliant so more on that as as time unfolds and but tell me about byron is it because you know the last i love byron bay but it's become so busy i mean people say oh out of season there is no out of season for byron anymore the last few times i've noticed just the traffic the numbers of people i it geographically it's still one of the most beautiful places in the world did you find it busier than you remembered it's um uh, no, because of this time of year. What what I, what you do notice, and what I've always loved about Byron, it's it's not like a, a noosa or a surface paradise. It's got that still got that kind of backpacker surfy culture. It's a youth culture that really predominates predominates there. It's predominant there, and um, and accents, all sorts of accents. So you hear German, Swedish, Danish, Italian. You hear them, a lot of South Americans in Byron Bay at the moment. And what's happening is that they are all having some sort of holiday or working in a cafe before they go up north and do fruit picking or or just hit the coast and then come back to Byron for Christmas. So they're all working hard to save money. So there's a lot of that. Not a huge number of... Um, of um, you know, families and things like that because it's not a school holiday season. But certainly come Thursday, so I was there in the lead up to the festival for a few days and then come the Thursday before the Writers' Festival, which was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all of a sudden there was this influx of, of, of you know, people like us, people who wanted to be at the festival. And I was talking to a couple of the traders because I was interested for our own Sorrento Chamber of Commerce. Does it have an impact? Oh, undoubtedly, yes. And as one retailer in a, in a dress shop said, this is a quiet month. August is a really quiet month. And we have really missed the Writers' Festival over the last couple of years because of COVID. And it's just, she said, it's just, I think I spoke to her on Sunday. She said, we've had the best weekend we've had in months. It's been amazing. The people who come in are so lovely. So I think a Writers' Festival in a, in, a, in a resort town or a small village, I know Dunkeld on the weekend had their very successful inaugural festival. I think it just does amazing things. Festivals are, you know, they bring together people who are like-minded, people who are interested in ideas and exploring their own responses to authors and academics. And and then as one writer said to me, we love writers' festivals because we get together, we're out of the study. Yeah. And if you think about it, you write oh. a book on your own for a year. Well, our friend Liz Porter, a writer who's in our book club, she has been, she's spoken about her books at the Byron Festival and she loves going to festivals both in Australia and overseas. Just a quick story about um, people from other countries at Byron Bay. And one of our most recent, or it was a few years ago now, family holidays, we decided Ned was on the holiday, my son, and Ned always likes to do a family outing. So we decided to go kayaking. And there was a thing where you went out and, you know, went Yeah, we've right done out. that and you go out with the you know, yes. dolphins or whatever. And there, yeah. there was a whole group. My sister was there, um, two of my children. Brendan was there, my niece, India. Anyway, it turned out there was was an odd number of us. So I ended up in the kayak and there were pairs with a young English lad who um, had a lot of piercings and tats. He was a great kid. He was probably in his mid-twenties and he'd won this thing in a pub, in a raffle. <laughs> so I ended up with him and he'd never kayaked well, in his life. he'd actually won win, win a canoe ride with Caroline Wilson. Well, he, he just won it. <laughs> Anyway, and at the end of the canoe ride, we were all given Tim Tams and mint slices. I remember that. But anyway, we went out in the high seas and, 
And some dolphins came up, which is the whole idea. Well, he went completely hysterical. He just started screaming, dolphin, dolphin, dolphin. <laughs> I'm going, You're going, don't down. rock, don't rock Calm the down. boat. Keep peddling, you idiot. I was the leader of the you know pack, even though I was not exactly Miss Fitness. Anyway, I can still remember I've never seen anyone so paralytic with excitement at seeing a dolphin. <laughs> it is just, it is honestly one of the most beautiful. It's a north-facing beach, which a lot of, which is unusual on the east coast of Australia. It's like Noosa, indeed. It's like Port Arlington. It's like it's very rare to have a bay that curls around back on itself. So, if you can imagine, the lighthouse is the most eastern point of Australia. The, the Australian. Did you coastline. do the trek? Yeah, did that a couple of times. I was more into going to yoga in the morning. I have to say, I did about seven or eight of those. I got a very good package. But but then from the lighthouse, it comes in on itself and it faces north. So it's just and it's just magnificent it was it really was so restoring and and i guess what i want to say is you know potties will know apart from going to to Port Ferry where we worked most of the time anyway. But you will all remember that I have not been on a holiday since 2019. We are, we're well aware I of know. that, sorry. We're Let's well get aware the violin your... out yet again. <laughs> but can I just say to people who are in the same boat as me, travelling is an unusual experience at the moment. There's no doubt about that. Major hassles at Gold Coast Airport yesterday, but that's a whole other story. If you just get into a mindset where you just chill out about it, just imagine that you're going to pass a day travelling, whereas perhaps in Australia it might never have taken one whole day before. But, it, you know, times are different now. But just make the effort. Save the money. Make the effort go away. I really feel like it's just been a, an injection of, of energy, to be honest. It's been great. Now, you did a lot, that I'm very, and you, I can tell by looking at you, you did a lot of reading. Um, I know you read one of my favourite Maggie O'Farrell's, The Hand That First Held Mine, which is one of my favourite novels ever. But there are, you've got a top five that we need to read in the coming months. I do, Caro. I do, and um, and I'm just trying to I'm just trying to find my list because you said this to me yesterday. You wanted me to discuss this, and there's really about seven or eight. But the five are, and and in no order, stressing no order. Ian McEwan, the British writer. Um, Booker Prize winner Ian McEwan is in his 70s. He is a um, part of that um, Julian Barnes, Martin Amos, Rose Tremaine kind of group. We love them. And Ian McEwan never fails to disappoint, even though some people say, uh, was it Nutshell? Nutcrack? Uh, eggshell? I, nutshell. What was the one where the fetus was the main character? I think, I think it was Nutshell. I, I was the one about I the, loved that. The one about the robot I wasn't mad on. Oh, I loved that. Yeah, people like us or whatever it's yeah, called. I didn't mind it, I, but I didn't love it. I, I just think he's he's absolutely he's sublime. I think he's brilliant. I he's, agree. And, and and so he has a book called Lessons, which Carol, you will love this, and I'm sure our listeners will as well. It's set. It starts in World War Two. It goes through the start of the Cold War. There's a moment that incorporates the Chernobyl disaster, and onto the fall of the Berlin Wall. And it's and I gather it's kind of espionage. It's a main character who might be or might or might not be a spy and his relationships. So I think that looks really great. Of course, he's Mag- great on the Cold War, Ian McEwan. Oh, I, he, isn't he? Remember the one about, what was that the one, one about the girl? The spy. Yeah, the girl who was working for MI5 on the side, the yeah, typist. And an early one too. Go ahead, keep um, going. You, you look that up while I, I go on to Maggie O'Farrell, who you mentioned. So Maggie O'Farrell, of course, of Hamnet fame, but as Caro said, of so many other great books, uh, she has a new one coming out in September called The Marriage Portrait. And this is based on the life of Lucretia, who was the daughter of Cosimo de Medici. And she was married off to a nobleman at the age of 15 and was found dead a year later. That is not a spoiler alert, everyone. Um, mm. But this book, um, Maggie takes us into the <clears throat> the intrigue and the palaces of, <clears throat> excuse me, and the politics of Renaissance Italy. So I think that just sounds absolutely brilliant. Jock Sarong, another friend of the podcast, Victorian writer, Jock Sarong's third uh, in, um, in the... Um, in his series featuring the menacing and very scary Mr. Fig. Mr. Fig. He is back with the third and final in this book. It's called The Settlement, and that book comes out at the end of this week. Caro, a non-fiction that I'm really looking forward to reading is, this has been edited by Julia Gillard, and it's called Not Now, Not Ever, 
10 years on from the misogyny speech. And it includes essays by uh, Australian and international luminaries and a really interesting cast of characters, including Jess Hill, who is a Stella Prize winner, Mary Beard, who is um, my much admire, I, I admire her so much. Um, she's in, um, a British historian and academic. Jennifer Palmieri, who worked in the um, Obama administration. So there's a whole heap of women who have um, responded to Julia's um, 10 years on from the misogyny speech, how's things changed, if indeed they have. And then the other one, which I know you will not be ordering yourself from your bookshop, The Divider, Trump in the White House. Oh, oh. By Peter Baker and his wife, Susan Glasser. Peter Baker is the chief White House correspondent for the New York Times and Susan Glasser, you would have read her, Caro, in The New Yorker. She's one of their finest journalists. They have done another book together. I cannot wait. So there you go on to that. But um, That you, is exciting. You were telling me the other day that you had been to see Mothering Sunday and it made me think about books that have been made into films. I'm dying to see Mothering Sunday. Great novel, beautiful novel by Graham Swift. Did it work? Has it has it translated into film? It, look, it's it's. Um, I went with Mum on Sunday. We both really enjoyed it. As Mum said at the end, it, it was terribly sad. I mean, it is just the. It's it's a very sad story. Um, some absolutely brilliant performances, including by um, Josh Gordon, who played Prince Charles in the most recent series of The Crown. He's a, a really good act, actor and the star of the show is Odessa Young, who is played in later life by Glenda Jackson, a very old Glenda Jackson who we haven't seen for a while. Um, and it, it's basically the story of World War One and all the young men who were killed and the families who were left behind grieving for these lost boys. And it's about a group of friends whose most of their sons have died. Josh Gordon um, plays the last surviving um, in a family of three boys. He's about to marry um, a, the daughter of a friend of a group of friends. And she was going to marry one of the boys who was killed in World War I. Um, the, the grieving parents who have no children, They've, both of their sons have been killed in the war. Um, Colin Firth plays a father in the most wonderfully, wonderfully sustained performance. It, it really was absolutely brilliant. It's funny, you think, I still think of Colin Firth as younger. It's interesting, isn't oh, it? Now, look- now we, I mean, he is our age, but now, now, now he's turning into that, the grandfather, he, older man figure, isn't he? He, he plays an old, he, he translates the sort of um, fatigue and tiredness and, and just the over, general sadness of grief, just so, so well, beautifully shot. Um, directed by a woman, beautifully. I mean, it, it's just that the houses, the time, it is all so beautifully done. A lot of people criticised it by saying, you know, it was just too um, too slow, and it is slow, but the performances are absolutely beautiful. Of course, in England, um, Mother's Day is known as Mothering Sunday, and it, it was all in, in the 1924 when this film was made, although it does sort of move um, backwards and forth. But he, he um, Fred Skepsy made that other film, Last Orders, which is another Graham Swift novel, which I just thought was an absolutely brilliant film, but I would really, really... Look, I'd recommend it just because of the acting performances, well, to be honest. Carol, isn't it interesting that they always said that last Edwardian summer before the war in England was one of the finest, most beautiful summers England has ever had? Before the Second World before, War, No, yes. before the... Uh, yeah, before the Second yeah. World War. Sorry, yeah, sorry. But that that First World War, that First World War melancholy, you know, party hurrah hurrah, and then into war. Oh. And uh, so many great books and so many great films have been made of that. Olivia it, Coleman, by the way, that's plays right. She was the mother. Colin first She's wife, mother, and yeah. and she is just she but cannot you, she cannot get past her grief. Did you? How the, this really struck me on a personal level. Remember when we were in Cornwall and we went to the Lost Gardens of Heligan? And the story of the the landowner of those gardens, um, late 19th century, early 20th century aristocrat in Cornwall, who developed these beautiful gardens, he had something like 30 gardeners, and they were all his friends because he was a passionate garden, gardener. So every day he actually found himself down in the garden that was a, with all that of was these men. That was one of the men. great tourist attractions, wasn't it? And and then sadly, I think I most, bought some seeds there. Actually, mo- yeah, don't talk about the illegal <laughs> seeds. But sadly, most of the gardeners, most of the gardening staff, were killed in World War One, and the owner, the old man, was so overcome with grief, he turned his back on the garden and the garden overgrew 
for the next four decades it was unloved until somebody took over the property and, and resurrected it. But remember we were told that story and we were we were really affected by that. It was it was a beautiful story and, and, and then the resurrection of it as well. Keep an eye out for Odessa Young though, who plays the young maid who becomes a writer. In the, she's the main sort of character. She's an Aussie actress and she's really, really good. That we the the Ian McEwan novel we were thinking of was Sweet Tooth and there's Sweet another Tooth. early one called Innocent. But speaking of um books made into films, and a lot of his have been made into films. I, I thought The Children's Act was really good oh, with Emma Thompson. Wonderful. And Stanley Tucci. Yeah, absolutely um, fabulous. And Atonement. Atonement was a wonderful film. That oh, really put Kieran Knightley on the map. It but was. just for um, just for potties who might be interested, there are some terrific books in the next few months that are going to be released as movies. The Essex Serpent didn't do it wasn't such a big seller here in Australia but it was uh, in England it took off it was the Waterstones book of the year about 4 years ago it's a really good gothic mystery and i think it's going to be an excellent um film and um the nightingale by Kristen Hannah daisy jones and the six which i know is one of anna from the op shop's favorite books taylor jenkins ago. reid yep Conversation with Friends by Sally Rooney is going to be. I'm not sure whether that's going to be a four or six parter on Netflix. Or oh no, a, I've been watching that. Oh, have you? Yeah. Not so good. Oh look. Oh really? It it's just a bit slow and a bit plodding. The book's better. Oh okay. The book's better. Sorry. And then finally, Carol, the thumbs down. I discovered this yesterday. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago you were talking about books that had been banned and you mentioned Lady Chatterley's Lover? They're making. They're doing a remake of the um, Sylvia Crystal movie of many years ago, which was a bit of a soft-porn oh. movie. So they're making, remaking Lady Chatterley's Lover. Not sure who's in the cast, but that will be worth keeping an eye on. So, Caro, that's um, a bit of a book summary for us. Can if, I be um, really shallow, shallow for a minute? That's hasn't, unusual. Hasn't the Thursday Murder Club, hasn't he got another one yes, coming out? Yes, he does. Um, I which, didn't put that on my list. And, and I, I should have put Kate Atkinson has a new one as well. And, and in fact, Taylor Jenkins Reid has, has one. Has a new one. Carrie Soto is back. There's She's a lots. character in the last one I talked about, Malibu Rising, tennis player. And Jane Harper has a new book coming out, Exiles, next month. And in fact, in uh, October, I'm going to be doing an event with Jane. So if anybody wants to know about books or what's coming up or any of our events, don't forget to jump onto the Corrie is Reading um, Instagram page because I put a lot of stuff there, what we're so up to. So much to read. And the Melbourne Writers Festival starts next week. Oh, happy days. And I tell you what, it's a great cast coming. I'm going to hear, I think she's being beamed in. Remember, um, remember Anita Hill? Yes. Yes, The who was... Um, who was um, accused Clarence Thomas, who's now a Supreme Court judge in the US, accused him of touchy-feely bad behaviour. She is going to be doing a session, which is amazing. And, of course, I'm supposed to be having a drink at some point next week with Sarah Winman, author of Still Live. So she's coming out for she's it. She's coming out for well, it. Of course she is, because we're having a drink with her. Yeah, actor Brian Cox is coming out from Succession. Um, there's a wonderful session, Helen Garner and Chloe Hooper. I often think Chloe Hooper is the um, modern-day Helen Garner in a funny sort of way. So that they're having a discussion together so much. So jump onto the Melbourne Writers Festival website, everyone. Wow, we need a drink. You're right, Corrie. It's time for the cocktail cabinet. Um, we've been meaning to talk with Miles for a couple of weeks about spring wine, but we need to mention the wine appreciation course that Prince Wine Store is supplying, which is just a wonderful prize. And the winner this week is Brett Phillip, who writes, After a few trips to the Barossa over several years, I was fortunate enough to get to know the winemaker at Torbeck. Torbrick. This was before they started to become well known. On our third trip back in as many years, he said to us to arrive late in the afternoon, good local tip Corrie, after all the tourists had left and he would organise a tasting in a line over three vintages, including their now famous The Laird. What an experience it proved to be and it showed why Barossa Shiraz is the equal of anything in the world. So you, Brett Phillip, win a course for two at Prince Wine Store, the wine appreciation course. That is a wonderful prize. I, um, I, I, I would love to do this wine course, Caro. I think we have to put some time in our diary. But we might be having an event 
at I Prince think, Wine Store. I think we're. I think that's almost in our diaries, Carol. Later on in the spring, more details to come. Just remember, princewinestore.com.au. Just write in the code MEWS in capital letters, short for Messenger, and you'll get the listener discount. Caro, on to BSF for Red Energy. And you're going to kick us off. I am indeed. While on my holiday, I read a wonderful new book called Lessons in Chemistry. Now, you must tell everyone how many books you did read because you had 20 piled up and then you culled it down to five. I took three. three. And 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 I've almost finished the third, which is the new Camilla Shamsi. Also comes out. That's another one that comes out next month. I have an early proof of that. So I've smug. done the three. I know. I feel very smug. So um, so Lessons in Chemistry is by uh, an American um, uh, uh, American writer called Bonnie Garmus, who now lives in London. She is about our age. She's in her um, – in fact, she's a bit older than us. I think she's in her mid-60s. And this is her first novel, Caro. So we must never give up, okay? Because this has been such a bestseller. It has been sold. How old is Bonnie? About 65 or 67. Oh. And it has been sold to Netflix or Stan or one of those, Amazon, one of those. So it's going to become a series. It's called Lessons in Chemistry. Thank you to my friends Goldie and Noel for recommending this book. Not Goldie bought the novel, left it on the kitchen bench one day too long, and Noel was so intrigued he picked it up and started reading it. So by the time Goldie wanted to read it, Noel was already halfway through. But both of them <laughs> loved it. It's the story of a frighteningly brilliant Elizabeth Zott, a young woman who is trying to forge a career as a chemistry researcher and develop her own research projects, which you would think fair enough, that's okay. But it is the late 50s, early 60s, Carol, and as we know from our mother's stories and journeys, society's attitude toward women who wanted to work at that stage was very harsh and it was judgmental. So she is treated a little bit like a curio and never given any of the proper work. And when she does do great research, somebody else, a man, usually in his 50s or 60s, takes the credit. So when the rational and Beautiful Elizabeth unexpectedly falls in love with Kelvin Evans, a lonely but brilliant Nobel Prize-nominated scientist who admires Elizabeth for her brain and not just her beauty. Well, the sparks fly and a very different kind of chemistry to the one that these two nerds have been studying all their lives suddenly is triggered. So it's a wonderful love story. And then we fast forward to the mid-60s, years later, and Elizabeth finds herself having been rejected by the science community. Um, She is now a much-loved national TV superstar, the host of a popular cooking show. And her cooking show, Supper at Six, is not just like a Julia Child, this is how you beat an egg. She tells her audience about the chemical reactions in food, how to make your souffle rise, Uh, why oil and vinegar, you have to get the right proportions, all of that sort of thing. And people love watching her, but she also feeds into her um, weekly recipes what women should be doing to empower themselves. And so she becomes an early feminist hero. How did Elizabeth get to this point? And is it possible to change the way women think about themselves via the little screen? Elizabeth is the star of this book, Caro, but she is ably supported by a cast of terrific characters. Kelvin himself, the complicated genius with whom she falls in love. Their daughter, Mad, who is also a genius, a very quirky child. 6.30, their dog, who arrived arrived on their doorstep at 6.30. Oh, so the dog's called 6.30. The dog's so called funny. 6.30 and whose, emo- whose emotional intelligence is right up there with Claude the parrot in still life. In fact, at many on many occasions, 6.30 is the narrator. So if you liked Claude in still life, you'll be loving um, 6.30. Harriet, the caring but tough neighbour, the kind of neighbour every working woman wish- wishes she had next door. And then the lovely Walter Pine, the producer of Elizabeth's cooking show, who just continues to shake his head and wonder what on earth is this phenomenon and why is this show rating so well. It's a beautiful comedy drama about the plight some women must endure to be recognised as professional equals. And it's also a story about the power of love to heal sore and really deep and weeping wounds. I am putting this in my top five books for 2022. Brilliant. Can I lend it? Uh, No. Well, Shaz, who I was staying with in Byron Bay, took it. (laughs) 
Sorry about that. But, That's okay. But Lessons it'll come in back. chemistry. It'll come back. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, G-A-R-M-U-S. Highly, highly recommend. Now, you're doing a screen. And when you said to me you were going to do this, I thought, I'm sure a movie was made of League of Their Own. Yeah, it was. This is a remake. So A League of Their Own was, was a film. Madonna in that? Madonna was in it, Rosie O'Donnell, Gina Davis and Tom Hanks. Um but this, that was made in 1992. It's a, the story of the Women's League that was formed in World War II when all the men were out, away fighting and they needed to create a product. And, you know, the, the, it, was a, it was a good film. It um, highlighted the sexism and um, the, the battles the women were up against. It was ultimately a really good feel-good comedy. If you can believe that Madonna would look good in a baseball cap. Oh, she a- was fabulous blowing chewing gum and all of that. She was brilliant. But this is a series on Amazon Prime with a – Rosie O'Donnell does make a brief cameo. It gets down to the nitty-gritty of what it was really like for these women. I mean, it's still very much a populist um, series. We're um, three episodes in. We're both really enjoying it at home. But what it does – look at, which doesn't really, really get looked at in the movie, is the relationships between the women, often gay relationships and the love stories that are formed within the group and what it was like to be um, an ambitious sportswoman in the 1940s and how tough that was and the financial constraints, um, the poor treatment of the men. The Tom Hanks character, who is a sort of a a washed-up baseball hero, who needs some money and who unwillingly takes on the coaching of these women, who they adore because he's one of their heroes, but who's a bit of a bastard and doesn't really care about them. Um, that role is is brilliantly portrayed as well. Um, not any really big names in it, some brilliant acting performances. I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm That's really great. enjoying it. But, but did it's you much say more, Amazon Prime? It's on Amazon Prime, a league of their own. Now I'm on a roll, Corey. I've got a recipe. I've stolen this unashamedly Show me. from one of the most recent, in fact, the most recent Gourmet Travellers, the September edition. It's a vegetable recipe. You would know this um, food writer, Alice Hart. Um, have you ever... Have you, is she American? I don't know where she comes from, actually. Um, she's a chef. She's a food writer. She's got a new cookbook, The Magnificent Book of Vegetables. Okay. And you know I'm loving In Praise of Vegetables. Mm. Well, this gorgeous... Alice Hart, she is gorgeous, as are her recipes. I tried this one out. You know we love a bit of cauliflower. And mum would just shake her head and say, nothing wrong with cauliflower cheese and her old-fashioned recipe that is brilliant in every roast. But this is the most beautiful, beautiful, can't-go-wrong recipe. Clem's often doing things with whole cauliflowers, and they do look amazing. They're a bit of a show-off piece, Francesca does that too. She drizzles oil on it and sticks the entire cauliflower in the oven for an hour. This, yeah. Well, this is called Roast Cauliflower with Crisp Breadcrumbs. And I'm, we're going to put the beautiful picture. I can tell you it works beautifully. And the recipe on our show notes. But it's basically, you know, there's garlic, there's paprika, there's the extra large cauliflower with all the outer leaves removed, a few saffron strands, um, there's honey, there's sherry vinegar. Most of the stuff you would have in your garden, curry or your cupboard, um, breadcrumbs, but if you want and you want to spend a bit more money, um, Alice recommends, you know, pine nuts, almonds or walnuts would also work as well as breadcrumbs, which is a penny-pinching situation that she, she recommends, sourdough breadcrumbs, capers, raisins and rosemary. And you it serve sounds, it with rocket. It sounds rather Middle Eastern. It sounds delicious. Moorish. Oh, Moorish. M, as in M double, as in. I've got it. Yeah, thanks. Middle Eastern, sort of smoky. But also Moorish in the other way, too, because we want more. You do, and it's healthy and it is absolutely delicious. What's its Ro- title? Roast Cauliflower with Crisp Breadcrumbs by Alice Hart, and that will be on our show notes. I do Corrie. have a feeling she's an American food writer, but I don't know why I say that. Anyway, if somebody I should would know like more to let about her, but I absolutely don't. That Corrie. sounds a great recipe from the latest, uh, was it Gourmet? What? what? Gourmet Traveller, Traveller, which is a great magazine. Yeah, I know you and Clem are mad about that magazine. That was BSF for Red Energy. Thanks, Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't it time you called Red Energy, Caro, on 131806? Now, you are grumpy, and I gather the Melbourne weather last week was so awful. 
Yes, she says smugly because she dodged it. Um, you... Oh well, the joke's on you because it's even worse this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed. Um, but what on earth, apart from the weather, could you be grumpy about in finals week? We did have a beautiful weekend, though. The sun did come out Saturday and Sunday. Corrie, how excited was I two Sundays ago to sit down to episode one of the new series of Vera, the Brenda Blethen show, set around Newcastle in Northern England. Absolutely, Anne Cleves, I think, wrote the novels. Absolutely brilliant um, show. Kenny's back. They're all back. So exciting. We watched the first one. Yep, that was pretty good. Watched the second one on Sunday night, just a few days ago. And things are going on in Vera's life. You can't quite work. There's a few things I won't say, but he sort of doesn't... Health issues? Well... Dementia issues? No, he seems to... He um, asked her sidekick to um, pick up the tab for, is it petrol or food? There's just something going on. At the end of the show, that was the last in the, that's the end of Vera. What, forever? Well, no, just there's only two. There only seem to be two in this series. Oh, my goodness. I know they're like telemovies. I know they go for more than an hour. But I was thinking, Corrie, we could settle in for at least four or five, or usually six, aren't there? Yes. Yes, There's only two. There usually are six in a series because they take quite a while to actually make. I'm not sure how doer my life has become, but I really, really look forward to a new series of Vera and I was very grumpy that it was all over after two episodes. I would recommend you catch up. I think you would have been too busy to watch Vera while you were away. But I did actually see part of Vera on the weekend on Sunday night. It was our last night in Byron Bay and I fell asleep in front of the television, I have to say. Yeah, well, I think you need to go back and watch it. Watch it on iView. Uh, now, are you going to kick off six quick questions for Red Energy? I am indeed, Caro. What is the big cultural change that needs to happen at Essendon? Kevin Sheedy needs to get off the board. Oh, I, I heard you talking about this on the television the other night. I, I, look, I, I know I'm sounding a bit cruel. Kevin Sheedy, he's, he's one of my heroes. He is just an AFL, he's an, well, he is an Australian football legend, an Essendon legend, a four-time premiership coach, but putting him on the board was a mistake. It was yet another quick fix um, PR sort of stunt, really, which um, I think the board would now admit was a mistake. It's going to be difficult unwinding it, like so many of the issues they've got to unwind, but... I just don't think you put a football hero on a board, tell him he can't do have anything to do with football. It just creates more unnecessary factions. Kevin has been, you know, slightly pro the prospect of James Hurd returning. I think that would be a really bad idea. I think they need an experienced coach, not someone who hasn't worked in footy for six years until this year. And I think that they need to have a board without football people. They don't need football directors and they need to stop looking back and start looking forward. There you go. Corrie, Take that, Essendon. What was last week's footy highlight? Well, as we know, Hawthorne fielded an AFLW team and that was huge and they played Essendon and... Um, lost. Uh, yeah, I know, lost. But who cares? At least we're out there. And it was really wonderful to see our podcast sisters, Emma Race and Lucy Race, at the ground because they have worked so hard as Hawthorne supporters to get um, AFLW into the Hawthorne mindset. So well done to everybody concerned with this wonderful debut. Carol, I follow AFLW on my Instagram account and there is film footage there of Hawthorne recruit Sophie Locke's debut when she was told that she was um, going to be appearing for the Hawks. And it, it happened two weeks after her beloved mother, Sarah, had died of cancer. Now, if you watch this video, you have to be prepared for the emotion behind it. In fact, I'm tearing up as I'm saying this. It is just the most beautiful, wonderful, warm, um, sad, just such a gorgeous video to watch. And I think Sophie really did honour her mother. She kicked a goal. She did. She kicked the first goal. And um, it doesn't matter whether you kick a goal or not, she ran on and I'm sure her mother was there in her heart and um, it's just a very, very beautiful... um, Didn't she say her mother would be up in heaven with her pop having a beer, watching her? It was lovely. But can I just recommend, just AFLW Instagram account, it's just they have these beautiful stories about the girls. It's really great. Caro, on to politics. A league of their own, in fact. Yeah, a league of their own. Um. Should former Liberal Tourism Minister Fran Bailey sp- 
spoken up a bit earlier on the matter of Scott Morrison's management style. Look, it was a fascinating interview she gave with John Fain in uh, the, the Age on the weekend, Sunday Age, I think it There's was. There's more to come, I understand. Yes, I, I've, I've wrestled with this because it's a bit like, I mean, I, I, I don't think she should have. I mean, once he became Prime Minister, I don't think it was her job to talk about the fact that she found him impossible to work with and, in fact, he was removed from the job. Didn't he refuse to give any detail about how they gave the account of the Where the Bloody Hell Are You campaign? Suchy and such, yeah. Which was clearly he was a bit of a control freak then. I think who should have spoken up earlier were the journos from The Australian who've written the book who had a deal with a separate company, nothing to do with News Corporation, who have known that Scott Morrison signed him up to five other ministries to take over five other ministries, some of whom he never even told the actual ministers, but took their portfolio. They've known about this for over a year. Political correspondent for The Australian, surely his The, the Australian deserved the story. Well, if, I think the interesting person in that mix would be Christopher Dore, who is the editor of The Australian. Did he know about it and say, OK, let's sit on it, but make it our scoop? Did he not know about it? What are his feelings toward those reporters in that book? I think Fran Bailey kept a, a certain cabinet confidentiality there, and I think she probably did the honourable thing by staying quiet. But I do understand there's more to come on that. Looking forward to it. Corrie, as a non-participant footy fan, as in Hawthorne aren't in it, is that what you mean? That's what I mean. In this year's final series, which game are you most looking forward to this weekend? Four finals coming up this weekend. Well, I know your Tigers have got a big battle ahead on Friday, but I have to say, Caro, the Geelong-Collingwood game I think is going to be a ripper. When they met earlier in the season, from memory, Collingwood was leading the game until the last hurrah when it was Geelong, a great game. Geelong came out. Yeah, and I, and I think... I think Collingwood this year has evolved into an even more exciting dynamic. I mean, throw a couple of day crosses in there and you've got a party. But I just uh, I just feel that the, that game is going to be the one, certainly, that most people will be watching. Melbourne Swans, of course, will be good and interesting, but in terms of a good old tussle, Geelong, and, and all the high emotion, Geelong, Collingwood for me. What about you? Oh, well, I'm Apart obviously... I'm, yeah, I'm, I look, I'm, every every game is intriguing to me. Um, Fremantle, their first finals under new coach Justin Longmuir. Um, the Bulldogs, who really just, you know, the last year's grand finalists, who just scraped in. Um, Melbourne-Sydney is intriguing for me because um, they're playing at the MCG. Sydney could have hosted that game had they played a bit better against St Kilda, but they didn't finish second. They finished third. Melbourne back at the MCG, final back at the MCG for the first time since 2019. I'm really looking forward to that Friday night game. I did say to a Melbourne supporter um, the other day that um, it would be just awful, wouldn't it, if if Melbourne made it into it didn't make it into the grand final and perhaps is out of finals footy for the next 20 years. So the one grand final they didn't ever get to see oh. in Melbourne. <laughs> Pit main. <laughs> That's what she said. In fact, her, she was a bit more terse and rude than that. <laughs> um, Caro, which interview last week left you surprised and inspired? Oh, there is a bit of a footy theme going on, isn't there? Look, um, I had a few speaking engagements last week. It was a busy... Ross Stevenson's love letter to football, raising money for prostate cancer, which was a fabulous event. Well, you'll have to you'll have to read us your letter to fo- your love letter to football at some stage if you if we've got twenty minutes. <laughs> Ross did say well ten. Ross did mention there were a few drive bys in it, um, including towards Gillan McLaughlin, who of course was there and doing his own love letter. No, I, I did an event for the Melbourne Press Club, um, hosted um, a lunch where Basha Hawley was the guest speaker. He I didn't know this was going to happen, but this week he's been announced as the Premiership Cup ambassador, which is a job given always every year to a former. A premiership player. They go around with the cup. I think it's quite a well-paid gig. I was asking um, someone who's also done it in the past about it the other day. And um, Basher Hawley was speaking at the Melbourne Press Club. His Basher Hawley Foundation started out as really an academy when he was playing for, he was at Essendon, of course, went to Richmond, was always regarded as maybe a get-you-there player, get you into the finals, but never perhaps be a premiership great. Well, he was unlucky to... He came second in two Norm Smith medal counts. Watching 2017, he was really unfortunate to not win, and Dustin Martin was a worthy winner, of course. Um, He is just so inspiring. What he is doing for Muslim kids around this country, he's got seven or eight employees, I think, in Victoria, 
every other state bar Tasmania now has a small academy foundation as part of what Basha is trying to do, not just footy, but all sports and all education, but trying to get basically get more Muslim kids playing footy. Fantastic. And is it called the Basha Hooli Foundation? Foundation. Right. But look, he was a great player. He played against a lot of adversity, really. I mean, you know, he obviously observes Ramadan every year. He's trained and played, you know, while fasting. Um, Everyone else is out, you know, having celebratory drinks and boozing and stuff. You know, he just went and, you know, spoke to the kids from his academy. I mean, he's just a very unusual and wonderful young man. And he is barely really gone to the footy this year. I mean, he don't think he even knew when Richmond's first game was, even though he was playing as recently as last year. And, you know, the story of how in 2020 he stayed in Melbourne, didn't go to the hub because his wife was about to give birth to his first son, Mohammed. His mother had COVID and was very unwell, flew up very late in the day, played through the finals, was you know brilliant again. He's just a fabulous, he's a really inspiring young man. Oh, wait, Go cool. Basher. I would imagine we'd be able to see that on the Melbourne Press Club website. They would have recorded that surely. Yeah, I, I guess. So. And you'll see a lot of him over the next few weeks as the Cup Ambassador. Right. Corrie, you are going to... You were going to close us off with an amazing fact. I am, Caro. Have you noticed this winter and and autumn as well that um, we have been seeing spectacular sunsets and sunrises? Yes. Not just in Victoria, but uh, apparently all through the eastern and southern coast of Australia. And there's a reason for this. It's the after effect of that most devastating volcano eruption that happened in Tonga earlier this year, in January, I think it was. I did not know this. Um, and it's an under, it was an undersea volcano eruption. It was the largest explosion in more than 30 years. It killed uh, a number of people on Tonga and a number of injuries and oh. an estimated $130 million in damages. Don't you remember? Um, I no. remember. Oh, no, no, it, it was one of summer's yet another sort of. I, I remember the story. story. Yeah. I had no idea it was affecting our sunset. Yeah. Well. It, well. What is what's happened is that the ash, the sulfates, and the water vapors have gone into the stratosphere. Uh, University of Melbourne atmospheric chemist Robin Schofield said the eruption sent ash and sulfates and these vapors into the stratosphere. Uh, with about three times more aerosols than normal, which is slightly concerning because they take so long to go away. But what we are seeing is the result of all of these particles as they catch the light, and that's why we're having these beautiful sunsets and sunrises. So what happens, she says, what happens in the stratosphere to all in shadow and about 20 to 25 minutes after sunset, most of the light is scattering off the stratosphere and down into our eyes. So there you go. I thought that was really interesting because you and I have been, I mean, Instagram, if you live in Melbourne, people's Instagram photographs have been amazing yes. over the last few months. It but was you and I have commented Sunday on night. the amazing sunrise. Sunday and night was extraordinary, extraordinary on Port Phillip Bay, just a ball, a red ball. There is also, uh, the age also reported regarding these sunsets is that in winter there is a bit of cloud around and that usually does accentuate the colours anyway. But there you go. So I thought you might find that quite interesting. I do, Corrie. It's lovely to see you again. (laughs) I'm back. I'm perky and I'm back. I've got a lot of reading to do. Oh, we've got a lot of reading to do, Cara, but you'll be through the footy season soon, so then you'll have lots of time on your banana lounge. Um, I would like to thank Steve, who has stepped into the high heel shoes of Miss Jane with such aplomb. Thanks, Steve, for looking after us today. And Miss Jane, good luck with your jury duty. I hope, hope it you doesn't don't... go on too long. Oh, if she gets one of those corporate trials, we might not see her for another two and a half years, Cara. <laughs> um, thanks to our podcast supporters. You guys are great. You're with us every week. Red Energy, of course, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and our friends at Prince Wine Store. Just visit princewinestore.com.au. Click on the Don't Shoot the Messenger page, as Cara said earlier, for all Miles's recommendations and the special discounts. Don't forget we are on Instagram, Don't Shoot Pod, and Facebook. And if you would like our show notes, just um, either hit the sign up button on Facebook or contact Jane and she'll organise it. And her email is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Happy footy finals, everyone. And, Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's Most Trusted Energy Providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au.